Welcome to Bethel World Outreach Church. Our values are devotion, diversity, and discipleship. Devotion through honoring God by trusting His Word, praying, and worshiping together. Diversity by embracing God's heart for every nation. And discipleship by helping others follow Jesus. So join us as we're reaching a city to touch the world. Good morning. Good morning, everybody. Great job. Hey, uh, VBS volunteers, shout out. Shout out to the VBS volunteers. Incredible, incredible job to our VBS volunteers. Anyone who had kids in VBS is thankful for the extra shopping they got to do because you watched their kids. Uh, and so thank you just for investing in the next generation. I wanted to show you guys my kids, uh, if that's okay. My name is Bryson. And let me just introduce my family to you. I have a picture of them that I believe is about to come up. This is my family. Um, so my name again is Bryson. That's my beautiful wife, Rachel. Um, and then we have Olivia, who is two and a half years old. And then Ogden is just over one. He turned one in April. And so, uh, yeah, they are, that's my squad. That's, that's who I spend my time with, who I spend my life with. Uh, I also just want to not just give a shout out to them, but just give a shout out also to uh, Pastor James and Debbie, who are on their last week of their sabbatical. Uh, I'm excited for Pastor James to be back next week. Uh, and then also, there we go. Got a nice little golf clap there for you, Pastor James. Let it be known. Um, and then also we have some of our pastors, uh, really from around the world, including from our church in Manila, Philippines. Uh, they're uh, in the seminary. They have an intensive of the Every Nation Seminary. So Pastor Dave and Pastor Philip are there uh, now. Let me tell you a little bit of a story. When I first moved to Nashville, I moved here from uh, the, the Seattle area in Washington State. And so uh, I moved here and I flew here. So what happened is I sold my car uh, in Washington and I bought a new car here. And so I was on a little bit of a Craigslist budget. And so I was going through Craigslist to find the best thing. Now, I'm not a car guy, but if you are not a car guy and you're going to buy a car on Craigslist, what you need to do is find a car guy. So I didn't. Um, I went and I test drove the car. And, you know, after the test drive, I felt good. My roommate, uh, who at the time, he did not feel as good, but I did. So I gave him the cash and I <laughs> took it and, and went. A few days later, uh, we, I, I went to go get it, um, you know, just serviced, got the oil changed, all this stuff. I didn't know when it was last taken care of. And the guy at the, you know, Valvoline or wherever, he's like, man, I'm... I hate to be the one to tell you, but you got a blown head gasket. Again, not a car guy, but I know that's not good. So I say, all right, doc, tell me what the diagnosis is. How long do I have? Um, and he said, you know, it's a ticking time bomb. It, 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 could be, it could be a day, it could be a week, it could be longer. But I didn't have the money to fix it, so I'm kind of rolling the dice every time I pull out of the parking lot. And so uh, it was a few days later as I'm kind of driving this car uh, that I, I hear a, an alarming sound. It goes, I'm just driving, and it goes, <laughs> and I go, must be the head gasket. And so head gasket, I'm like, I'm going to pull over, I go to the nearest parking lot, and the second, by the grace of God, as I pull into this parking spot, I experience, <laughs> and I go, There's, there it is. So I get out, I get out, and I'm going to go, open up the hood. Not that I knew what would happen when I opened the hood, but I was going to open it because that's what you're supposed to do. Uh, and it's, I didn't even need to make it to the hood before I realized that it, um, it wasn't a head gasket. My wheel fell off. Now, what some of you might have heard was my hubcap fell off. 
my wheel fell off. The wheel was no longer attached to where the wheel's supposed to be attached. So uh, from that experience, I learned uh, a few things, two main things. One, I learned what a hoopty is. <laughs> a hoopty, if you're not familiar, is a, a, a car of subpar quality. Um, it, is, it is lacking in the quality department. Um, so I learned what a hoopty was, and, and then I also learned about this thing called buyer's remorse. So if you are not familiar with the term buyer's remorse, you're familiar with what it is and what it means. It's the reason you shop around. It's the reason why you do a little bit of research before you make a purchase. You want to make sure that the investment you're making, whatever you're about to buy, is something you're not going to regret later. And the higher the stakes of the thing, uh, the more we fear it. The more we fear buyer's remorse. And so you don't see anybody going around town price-checking Cheerios, right? They're not, they're not going across the, you know, Publix or Kroger. Like, they're, they're going, as long as it's kind of three or four bucks, sorry, 2023, eight bucks, as long as it's like eight bucks, you don't go and price-check it because the stakes are relatively low. You just say, okay, this is, I'm not going to really worry about buyer's remorse. A Cheerio is a Cheerio. But then uh, where it really kicks in is when the stakes get higher. So you don't go around town for Cheerios, but you would go around town to find the right vehicle. You would go around town, especially to find something like a home. The higher the stakes, the more we fear buyer's remorse. Therefore, the more checking we do because we don't want to get to a position where we look in the rearview mirror and feel like we made a bad allocation of resources. And we don't want to get to that spot uh, like it, because... like. We want to make sure that we're making the right decisions with our precious money, but how much more can we sometimes fear having buyer's remorse with how we spend our precious time and how we spend the life that's been given to us? Because so long as time keeps on moving forwards and not backwards, we're always going to be faced with these decisions of what comes next and what to do next with the time that we've been given. Because right now, you sit in this sanctuary or you're joining us in Dixon or you're joining us online, wherever you are right now, you chose to be exactly where you are. And by choosing that, you said no to an infinite amount of possibilities of other places you could be. You made a decision, I'm going to be in one geographic location, so I will not be on the beach, I will not be on vacation, I will not be putting in the extra hours at work, I will not be doing anything else. By saying yes to one thing, you're saying no, inevitably, to every other thing. We only have one life, and the, the question is, like, we, we don't want to get down the road and have buyer's remorse with how we spent that hour, that day, that week, that month, that year. Now, those decisions can be difficult in regular life, but when you're in the middle of chaos, and that's what this series is called, In the Chaos, a decision that once was difficult becomes nearly impossible. It's one thing to say, what should I do next when things are easy, but it becomes even harder when you're asking yourself, what decision do I make when the job that I loved is pulled out from beneath me, and I'm called into my manager's office to let me know that I've been laid off? what kind of, how, how do I pick up the pieces when every school that I applied to said no? What do I do when the person that I stood in front of our family and friends and said I do in front of tells me one day that they don't anymore? What do I do when we've been believing God for a baby only to go to the doctor and find out it was an unviable pregnancy? Pregnancy. 
things that were already difficult under regular circumstances become nearly impossible when you're in a crisis. And I don't know what your crisis is or isn't, but we've all been in a moment where it was so convoluted that we couldn't see our way out. And we've been longing, we, we were longing, or we are longing for, for really three things. I think three things that are in um, high demand and low supply in a moment of crisis is calm, comfort, and clarity. And in the middle of the chaos, we're forced to make decisions we didn't want to make under circumstances we didn't want to be in. And someone who can relate with this is this character in the Bible named David. David uh, is uh, all over the Old Testament, even included in some of the New Testament. Uh, then we have uh, David, though he wrote most of the Psalms, or a good amount of the Psalms, rather. Uh, and so you can look in the book of Psalms. We're going to be in Psalm 23 today. But the Psalms are a book of prayers and a, a book of, uh, you know, some were to be sung, some to be chanted, but just a little brief backstory on who David is because he can relate to being in high stress situations with high stakes decision in unfortunate circumstances. David uh, was one of many sons and a prophet came to town when he was a kid and said, hey, Jesse, who's the dad? Hey, bring all your sons here because one of them is going to be a king. So Jesse goes, one, two, three, four, got them all. And Samuel's like, I don't think you do, because David's still out in the field. So David forgot about in that situation, gets brought in anointed king at an early age, and then just has to wait. And so David is waiting, knowing he's been anointed king. A few years later, there's a little situation named Goliath. And so he becomes a volunteer giant slayer. He says, I'll do it because God can do it. So he raises his hand, slays the giant, then lands a gig as a musician in the king's palace. And so I know, ladies, what you're thinking, you're like, giant slayer with a sensitive side? That's hot. (laughs) But here's the thing. So did the rest of Israel. So all of Israel becomes this huge David fan. They're like on team David and Saul doesn't like it. And so all of a sudden, Saul becomes jealous of David and not just like a cute rivalry, but he's getting spears out and he's gonna go hunt David. So David's on the run with his little band of merry men. He's hiding in caves. He's all of these things. He's an outlaw. And so here we have this guy named David who over his life, although he did eventually take the throne, In his life, he finds himself as a shepherd, a soldier, a hero, a renegade, and eventually a king. It's a life filled with high-stress decisions and high-stakes scenario, career changes, drama, and uncertainty. And it's this guy who pens these words. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely, goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Would you pray with me? God, would you illuminate your word? 
Lord, help us leave as a result of your word transformed. Would we be different when we walk out than the way we walked in? In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Last week, Pastor Dave did such a great job introducing this sermon series with just verse one. The Lord is my shepherd. I love that he just stopped. The Lord is. The Lord is my shepherd. I want for nothing. I shall not want. We focused on the the enoughness of God, that he is enough. In verse two and three, it shows us that God doesn't just provide for us, he guides us. And so he has a plan for our activities in this life. He has, like it says in, in uh, paths of righteousness, I'm going to be, you know, led in paths of righteousness. Another way that can be translated if you're in the ESV version, you can kind of click the hyperlink and see in right paths. He leads me in the right paths. The paths I'm supposed to be on, he leads me in them. There is a plan, which gives us great comfort, especially in chaos, to know there is a plan, but it's coupled with anxiety when we realize we have to figure out what that plan is. Like, have you ever been in that moment where you just, your life just hit something crazy and someone says, God has a plan? And you're like, no duh. Um, if someone could help me with what it is, that would be great. Like, if you ever, am I alone? Like, you just... Just me, great. No, but, but like you're in that situation and you're like, that is not helpful, bro. Like God has a plan, yes, and? Um, no, but like it's great anxiety when we wonder how to figure that plan out. But I think that God through his word gives us clues as to how to move forward. Because God's will in this instance doesn't start with a path. Let's read just verse two and three, which is where we're gonna be camping out today. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. So the goal is paths of righteousness for his namesake, right? The goal is that we live a life that's in line with God's will, that we you know, fulfill God's purpose for us here on the earth. But what I love is that the path doesn't start on the path. The path starts in the pasture. And I think people who are really good at being on the right path are really good at spending time in the pasture. People who are really good at being on the right path are really good at spending time in the pasture. And I, I love, like I've heard it preached before or, or taught before or whatever that like God lays us in the green pasture, like in almost like forcefully, you will lay. Like, but that's not it. That's not a, a fair treatment of the text. Like he's, it's the same way that a waiter seats you. Like you, you're been invited into a green pasture, that God's created a space of hospitality and rest for you, that God has prepared a, a place for you in the same way it, it's almost foreshadowing what's happening a few verses later, but God has a place of rest for you that he's leading you to and inviting you to. He leads me beside still waters. It's also translated waters of rest. God has waters of rest for you, that if, if we don't get some of those things sorted out, we're really bringing a mess to the path when we start walking, that we have uh, this pasture that's available. Uh, could it be, just could it be that David starts with the pasture because the most important call that we have is to rest? Could it be that our first call is to be people of rest, Psalm 23 is a wilderness psalm, and so there's some debate on exactly when in David's life it was written, but we do have an idea that it was written in the Judean wilderness. Uh, and so 
here, uh, I, I believe we have a picture of uh, something like the environment that he would have been in. So he had, obviously, his career as a shepherd, uh, which would have been in this environment. He spent a lot of time on the run in this environment. And even Israel wasn't that far off from this environment. And in this environment, for a psalm that talks about lacking nothing, it's in a physical setting that seems to be lacking everything. And so you have David writing this beautiful psalm in a life of turbulence and high stakes situations, high pressure moments, and you have this David who's in an environment that seems to be lacking everything, saying, the Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. And maybe today you're walking in or you're tuning in or wherever you are, feeling like that desert picture is a picture of your life right now. That you don't know the way out and everywhere you look, you just see another deserted mountain. That everywhere you look, there's not a way out. You feel like you're bringing a desert to the table. One, let me tell you, you're in the right place. But maybe you're in a situation where you say, that's great and these are uh, inspiring words. Yay, Psalm 23. But in the situation I'm in, peace isn't really available. So what I need to do right now is put my head down and work. I need to figure it out and I'll get to that peace thing later. And what we're saying when we do that is that my peace is on pause until my situation changes. Alan Gardner was a missionary in the 1800s. He and a guy named Dr. Williams were missionaries from England to South America. Well, shortly after their voyage in South America, or to South America rather, uh, their camp was ransacked by the villagers that they went there to reach and evangelize. And so uh, their camp was ransacked and they retreated towards the beaches with just a little bit of food to make them only a few weeks, knowing that it would be months before any relief would come. So one by one by one, the crew that they had gone with starts to die of starvation. And the last two standing are these two missionaries. And it's in his final entry that Dr. Williams says this as he starves on a beach. Ah, I am happy day and night, hour by hour, asleep or awake, I'm happy beyond words and the poor compass of language to tell. Let all my beloved ones at home rest assured that I was happy beyond expression the night I wrote these lines and would not have changed, changed situations with any man living. So what do these two missionaries have and what does David have that we don't? Because I don't know about you, but that's not my default setting. My default setting is to relate my, you know, uh, level of comfort to the comfortability of my surroundings. To say, my life is good, therefore I am blessed and I can worship God. But they seem to have something different. That when they're in a desert in David's case, or, or when they're on the beach dying of starvation, there's something different that they have. I think that they realized the truth that's found in Psalm 23, that I don't have to wait for my surroundings to be peaceful for me to have peace. I don't need to wait for my surroundings to be peaceful for me to have peace. Because I'll tell you, if you are, it's not going to come. Like we get in this rut or this cycle rather where we say, after this crisis, I'm going to figure it out. 
After this heavy work, you know, this season of heavy work, then I'm going to get back in my Bible. Oh, after uh, this season of travel that I have with my job or with my family, then I'm going to get back in my life group and community. After I do this, after I do that, after we start to, to piece together the end of uh, my, my parents' life as, as we do all these things and get that in order, then I'm going to have rest and peace. After I find the job, then I'm going to have rest and peace. But we have all of these conditions upon our peace, but like I think that these missionaries and I think David saw the truth that we don't have to wait for our surroundings to be peaceful for us to have peace. I'll say it another way. My pasture is portable. The pasture that God lays me down is not a physical location, but it's a life that God calls me to. And even sometimes we get in that zone where it's like life is stressful, I gotta get it to my pasture. I gotta, maybe you don't call it that, but it's like I'm gonna get into my devotional time. I'm gonna go to this place in my house where I just really hear from God, and that's great. I'm not anti-devotional at all. Don't hear that at all. Have that. But if it's like constricted to a single location, we start to have a little bit of trouble. Like we have, you saw it, we have young kids. Um, We have a one-year-old and a two-and-a-half-year-old. Our current house is pasture-free. There is zero pasture, zero square footage of pasture in our house. It is 100% chaos and volume and toys and diapers. It is a pasture-free environment. And so if we were waiting for things to not be chaotic, in order for us to live a life of rest that God's called us to, we would be waiting a long, 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 long time. So let's play it out. We say 18 years. If they left in 18 years, we say, no, 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 it's gonna be in 18 years. Whoever just is laughing right now, You have conversations, I guess, when you get home. Uh, No, but just play it out. If we say this is the hope, then we get 18 years later, and we're going to have another crisis. And we're going to say, no, 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 okay, well, after this season, after we get them through college, no, after we help them do this, after we do that, and and so, like, we go life after life, you know, all the way through life, and we get at the end of our day, at the end of our life, rather, and if we're fortunate enough to see it coming in a way we can reflect on our life, we find ourselves having buyer's remorse. Saying, I spent my life waiting for something that would never come. We can't wait for our situations to be peaceful in order to be people of peace. And so it's not that, like, God has to lay us down. God offers for us to have peace. Because I think a lot of times that people find themselves in seasons of peace. Like I'm not anti-season either, but like if you're in season of peace, sometimes it's because like you you missed a rhythm of peace or like missed a rhythm of rest. Like God calls us to be people of peace. And so as we live that lifestyle, uh, then there's not a situation where God has to lay us down in a green pasture. But we can actually bring that pasture with us. We, We practice like uh, the enoughness of God when we rest. When we're resting, we're saying, God, you are enough and there's nothing I can contribute to you, nothing you need from me, and so I rest in your enoughness. And let me just tell you this, you will never really rest if you never feel like God is really enough. You'll never really rest if you never really feel like God's enough but he is. But until we realize that, we find ourselves searching for counterfeit rest. We we feel like if I just, I just need some time to binge watch my favorite show or just to go play another round of golf 
Or I just need to have X, Y, Z. I need to go on a vacation. But then you come back from vacation just as tired. Or you end your day of binge watching your favorite show just as exhausted. You, all these things that we look for, we feel like it's going to give us rest, but it doesn't. Because we're not looking for a retreat. We're looking for rest. And so we have like only available through this um, offering that, that God has for us, this true pasture, is it available. And so in this time of rest, like we, we practice the enoughness of God. Um, and that sounds amazing, right? If, if this was just a sermon about how we can just rest, that sounds like we're about to have the best Sunday afternoon naps ever. It's like, I loved that sermon. That was the best. But it just can't be enough. I don't think it's a fair treatment of the text if we just leave it at that. So let's read it one more time. And I want to look at sort of uh, uh, the, the makeup, the construct of it, because we feel like true rest should be the thing that restores our soul, right? That's all jumbled in there. But let's look at the order. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Now just keep that up there for a moment because I want you to look at where the soul restoration happens. It doesn't come in the green pasture, but what this shows me is that the soul restoration happens on the go. That he leads me beside still waters. You can't be led if you're laying down. There's, there's a level of, of walking, and uh, as we're walking, as we're moving, uh, then God starts to restore our soul. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And like, here's a truth. One way to figure out God's call on your life is to start doing stuff. Like, just start doing stuff. It's doing stuff in, for his name's sake. And so if you look in other areas uh, of the Bible where he uses that phrase, for his name's sake, it means for the sake of showing his abilities and his character. And so as we just like go through life, we just do stuff and God starts to wiggle it out on the way. We were on yesterday, um, we were at the, the marriage hike. We went with a bunch of other married couples from Bethel to a little whoop whoop from that. Um, so we went and we were at Radnor Lake and there were paths that we would take to get to our destination that I didn't know about when we started the journey. So in order to get to our destination, there would be lefts and rights and rights and lefts that we would need to take, but we would never even get to a point of decision if we didn't start walking. And so what we had to do as participants, not as leaders, hopefully the leaders knew where they were going, but as participants, is you have to start walking on the trail that you're on in order to get to the trail God has for you. And so for some of us, we just need to start doing stuff and doing stuff in the name of Jesus for his name's sake. And so we just need to start doing stuff. It means for the sake of showing his abilities and his characters. And sometimes we get so concerned on what you are called to do. What am I called to do? But what if we focus a little bit on what are we all called to do? Like, what are we called to do? I actually think that sometimes God's a little quieter about the specific things because we're not doing the general things. We say, God, 
God, where am I supposed to live? What city am I supposed to move to? God, who am I supposed to marry? What job am I supposed to take? What school am I supposed to apply to? And we ask all these specific things. And like we say, and God has answers for those. God has, there, there is you know, a plan that he has for you. But he might start the conversation with, are you loving your neighbor? Like, are you, are you making disciples? Like, there's certain things we don't have to, you know, question about if we're called or not. Like, you don't need to question if you're, uh, like, if you are a Christian that we should try and live a life that looks and reflects the fruit of the Spirit. Not a question. We don't need to question if we're called to make disciples. Not, not a question. We don't need to uh, question if we're, we're called to seek justice, love mercy, walk humbly. Oh, there's so many things that we're called to, but we wait. So many people are waiting for the perfect blueprint of their life before they're going to get off the couch. They go, Jesus, until I have peace about this, I'm not going to move. Jesus didn't have peace about going to the cross. But sometimes we feel like God owes us peace in order for us to keep moving. So in order to start walking on the right path, sometimes we just need to start walking. And here's why. Not because God loves us more when we do stuff for him. It's not, this isn't a, a time where it's just like the Shia LaBeouf, just do it. Like it's not, it's not that talk. It's, it's not just do it, right? It, we're not going to walk away with Nike shirts. It, it's not just about doing stuff. But when we are, are, are partnering with God in his mission, we're actually coming back to what we were created to do. We were created to be image bearers and glory takers, co-heirs and co-laborers with God. And so in the initial plan of the earth, when we do that, we're restoring our soul. The same way when you restore a car, you're restoring it to what it once was. Like when we do this, we're restoring our soul to what we were created to do and who we were created to be. So sometimes you just need to start walking because a rudder doesn't work if the ship's not in motion. And so we start walking. It's like this, this great phrase, I'm uh, one of four kids, and so four kids, two parents, six people. And so we'd get in the car, and you're prone to argue about where to eat, you know, if you're that large of a group, especially when you're a kid. And so uh, what my dad would say, when we said, Dad, where are we going to go eat? He says, we'll figure it out when we get there. And although it's a facetious way to keep your kids from arguing, I think there's a certain element about that when it comes to following Jesus. Where it's like, God, what am I called to do? I think there's a certain element of we'll figure it out when we get there. Where I just need to start walking and God's going to be faithful to do the leading. But he can't lead me if I'm stuck laying down. So I think as important as resting is, it's equal, I won't say more important, but I think it's equally important to move. Like it says, you know, he'll make your paths straight, right? So it's, it's the, the, you know, the, the tension of, of waiting and walking, of resting and moving that we're finding ourselves in. So if, just in, in, to, to summarize where we are so far in the story, if we have determined that pastures are portable, I can live a pasture kind of life on the go, and we've determined that if I just start walking, I'm gonna figure it out eventually. Why do I still feel unsettled? 
And especially if I'm in the room and I'm facing a crisis, I might feel more confused than I was when I walked in because it's uh, like if we leave right now, then your homework would either be to rest more or to move more, to start resting or to start moving. And I think that what he's really saying is found a little bit in how grammar works, and this is why a subject of a sentence is a person doing something. The object of the sentence is something or someone being affected by that doing. Subject, the doer. Object, the person being affected by said doing. I want to read this just one more time with that in mind. Would you with me? He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. We are the object of the sentence, not the subject of the sentence. And that's so freeing for me because the moral of the story isn't go rest more or go walk more, but we have ourselves, uh, it's not about us being better sheep, it's about realizing he's a really good shepherd. And this shepherd isn't just a book of ideas and morals and good ideas on how you should live your life, but we have uh, this shepherd, David, who wrote it. And he's merely, we realize on this side of history, he's merely a foreshadowing of the shepherd that was to come. That 14 generations later, in his own line, would be this guy who showed up on the scene named Jesus. And Jesus would say here in John 10, 11, and then 27, identifying himself, saying, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them, and they follow me. I don't think that our first call is to rest, and I don't think our first call is to walk. I think our first call is to listen. And there's a time for resting. And there's a time for walking. And I think that there are times even where we do them both simultaneously, but it's only possible. If we're only walking, we're walking for walking's sake. And if we're only resting, we're resting for resting's sake. But it's only possible by the transcendent truth that in order to know when to do what, we have to not just be doers and not just be resters, but to be listeners that were people, like, because even in, in that case, then, it, like, the, the steering wheel, the, the car keys are still in our hand. If we say, hey, sometimes you got to rest, sometimes you got to work, and then you just have a self-declared season of rest, or a self-declared season of work, where, hey, it's just that time I got to grind for Jesus, I just got to hustle for God, because there's stuff to do for the kingdom, you know, or it's like, hey, I just need a season of rest, I'm burnt out, a self-declared burnout, that I just, I just can't do anything for God, I'm going to smile at my neighbor, and that's going to be my evangelism for a while. Like we, we just like, when we get into those modes, you start to ask yourself, who's the shepherd in the situation? Who's leading who? But we've been given 
the gift of a good shepherd. And he's not subpar, he's not average, he's not adequate, he's a good shepherd. He's not just the shepherd that knows the past, he's the shepherd that blazed the path. He's the one who doesn't just say, hey, I think we should go this way. He says, no, I know we should go that way. And so as we go, as we live our life, as we are listeners, not just doers, as we walk through paths, it changes the way that we do both these. It changes how we rest because we realize he is enough. And so I don't have to be. He is enough so I can fully rest. The word shalom, peace, it means wholeness, completeness. I can rest because everything is taken care of, not because I'm good at resting, but because he's good at giving me rest. I can work and I can walk in God's will. I'm not stumbling around blindly until I stumble upon the right thing. I'm not just walking and saying, God, I really hope I'm doing it. If we did that in the marriage hike yesterday, we would still be out there. It's not about being blindfolded and just figure it out as you go. But as we do that and listen, God is saying, no, 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 turn left here. No, no, turn right. No, 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 don't turn right. That's dangerous over there. It's dangerous over there. Okay, no, no, you're going to keep on going here. You're going to keep on going there. And as we listen and walk, we find ourselves where we need to be when we need to be there. God has this way of putting us on the right paths, the paths of righteousness for his name's sake, a way of getting us in a place where we give the maximum glory to God. We become billboards for his love that we have when people see us, they see Jesus. Not because we're good at being sheep, but because he's good at being a shepherd. It changes how we rest, how we walk. It changes how we read the word. That we're not going to check a Christian box because we feel better about ourselves and God loves us more if we do it. We're doing it because we're practicing hearing the voice of the Lord. That when we're in it, we're, we're reading God's words to us as humanity and uh, we're beginning to learn, learn what he sounds like. So when we get in a tumultuous situation, when we're in the chaos, we know, no, 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 God said this. God said that. And then we're doing a matter of during that and during prayer and listening to the Holy Spirit, we, we've done the pre-listening. So when we get into the situation of chaos, we already know we're the person with the answers, not the wide eyes. We're the person who says, no, no, this is what God says about that circumstance. Would you stand with me? So how do we spend the time we've been given without having buyer's remorse? The same way in order to, for, for me to get the right car, I could have spent hours and hours on YouTube, read books and books about cars, but it wouldn't be the same as if I had next to me an expert. And in this case, it's not just an expert, it's the person who built that car, designed cars themselves. He built every car that ever was created in the history of humanity. That In, in this case, we're not just given a, a good idea guy, we've been given a Lord. Now, Lord is Jesus, and so it's not about us figuring it out on our own. It's not like if we want to live our life without buyer's remorse, we become people who are really good at listening. And people who at every turn, we, we don't like freak out. What if, imagine the next crisis to happen, what if before you started worrying, you started listening? Or before you started figuring it out, you started listening, you said, God, what would you have me do? What's my role in the scenario? 
God, what do you have for me to contribute and what do you want to do through me so that I can be living on a path of righteousness for your name's sake because that's what it's all about, Jesus. As we go from this place, just know God wants to speak to you. He does. It says in Isaiah that God's arm is not so short he can't save. His ears are too dull that he can't hear but it's our, it's on our end. The problem's on our end. Is not a bad, you know, uh, sender. It's a bad receiver. And so for us, we, like, when we just take a moment, we realize that God's not out to trick you into his will for your life. He's not trying to wait for you to mess it up. He's not, he's not laughing at you, wandering around. But he's created a path for you. And if we just listen, we say, Jesus, what do you have for He's faithful. He's faithful to speak through his word. He's faithful to speak through his people. He's faithful to speak through prayer. And we have, um, our, our ministry team is going to come down now. And if that's uh, something that, if there's something that, that resonates with you, anything, it, it doesn't need to be specific. But if you're just believing God for clarity in a certain area, they want to pray with you. It's, it's not embarrassing. It's not, uh, you know, something to be, you know, concerned about anyone seeing. It's just you being honest. You're just saying, I need help. And that's, We've, we've all been there and most of us are there. But let me pray for you as we, as we close. Jesus, thank you that you give us clarity, you give us comfort, and you give us calm in the midst of the storm. We love you and we thank you for who you are, that you're a good shepherd. And if we just listen to you, you'll lead us into uh, the, the green pastures. You'll lead us by the still waters. You'll restore our soul. God, you will lead us on paths of righteousness, on right paths for your name's sake. God, we submit as listeners, not as leaders, but as listeners in the name of Jesus. Amen.